Welcome to the latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Surreal Joe Quinn. Recording this on a Tuesday. Hope everybody out there is enjoying their week as we are nearing, of course, Thanksgiving holiday next week. Busy time in the world of sports as you have basically everything going on with the exception of, of, of baseball as college basketball has gotten underway. Um, but it's still about the NFL. Like, you know, NBA can do all this in-season tournament, which is, you know, getting some nice reviews with the courts and what have you. But the NFL still reigns supreme and will reign supreme until it's over in the first weekend in February. Uh, episode 932 titled, Are You Sure He's a Rookie? Of course, we should, you should know who you talk about as far as C.J. Stroud and the way he's playing. We'll certainly talk about him along with the Houston, Texas. Teams, Road Warriors, two teams had huge wins on the road. Um, we will flush those wins out. What do they mean in the long term, short term? As you see, uh, two guys who can be possibly MVP, possibly defense player of the year. You know, maybe. We'll see. Uh, and C.J. Stroud and, of course, Miles Garrett. All the thoughts, um, I have a lot of thoughts on the Buffalo Bills. And, no, I don't think – they are making the playoffs. Buffalo, of course, fell to the Denver Broncos 24-22 to in a game that was basically symbolic of their season. Slow start offensively, sloppiness, turnovers, just inexcusable mistakes, 12 men on the field. Um, Zutz, Lutz, excuse me, Will Lutz had missed the field goal from 41. Uh, that would have given Buffalo the win. Um that would have given Buffalo the win had they not had 12 men on the field. Just a penalty that just just something that just can't happen, uh, especially at your own your home stadium. Uh, and, and it's inexcusable, even on the road, it's inexcusable, especially if you're playing at home, especially when you are a veteran team like Buffalo, when you are had a have been together for a, for a lot as long as they've been together, just something that can't happen. Uh, McDermott, the coaches, of course, obviously are responsible for that. Uh, that's certain. That's not on the players. That's on. That's strictly on the coaches, in my eyes. But again, Buffalo, you know, they are who they are at this point. Um, this team, uh, we know how brutal their schedule is coming up. They have still have Philadelphia, still have Kansas City, still have Miami on the schedule, and the, the Jets as well, which won't be easy. Um, let's see. I I just don't see them making the playoffs. A couple couple of things before we get into the game. Uh, some reactions to uh, or collateral damage from this loss. Ken Dorsey, of course, is out as the offensive coordinator. That's the that's you know that's like firing the hitting coach in baseball when the team's not swinging the best. Very easy scapegoat. And James Cook, the running back, gets benched. You know what do you do? Uh, who cares from that standpoint? Again, Buffalo's problems have not changed, um, and we discussed this, and I repeatedly will continue to bring this up as far as the internal philosophical differences that they have within their organization that their, their problems are, are, are internal. It goes beyond personnel. It goes beyond the injuries. They have internal issues. And again, McDermott is going to be out of his job uh, at the end of this year. I don't see any way that they're going to bring him back, to be honest with you. Um, and they look like a team that just has lost hope. And you see teams that are struggling in all sports, and it gets to a point where it's not even about the personnel. It gets to a point to where we're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. We're waiting for the turnover. 
we're waiting for a team to to you know go down the field and score on us. We're just waiting for something bad to happen. And when it gets to that point, um, you are, I mean, you're done. You're cooked. Uh, it, it's not even about so much X's and O's. We can talk about talent, X's and O's. We can talk about all those things we like to talk about with in the world of sports and especially professional football. But there's just there's no belief with that team right now. They have they are they don't they're not confident. They have they they have zero confidence. Zero. Like they don't they're not they don't believe that they're going to win. They they're hoping to win. They think they might win. But they don't, they don't, you know, Buffalo used to walk into these games knowing, hey, we're going to win this game. We're going to kick this team's ass. They just, I mean, that that was the mentality for a couple of years. And I started thinking about this as well with the Buffalo Bills. Sometimes in sports, man, when you have a window, an opportunity to win a championship, and you don't take advantage of it, sometimes that window never reopens. I thought about a couple of years ago, uh, you talk about the twenty one, the twenty one playoffs, January January of twenty twenty two, that classic epic game they had with Kansas City, forty two thirty six in overtime, one of the great game playoff games in the last decade, five years, definitely the last five years, maybe you know in the last decade, it was that epic of a game with those two quarterbacks going up and down the field, especially the fourth quarter, like that fourth quarter was uh, the defenses didn't have a chance. And you watch that game, you watch Josh Allen, you're like, hey, this team, this team, forget about winning one Super Bowl, this team is going to win multiple Super Bowls. Like, I mean, that's what I'm thinking about the Buffalo Bills. Like, Kansas City got them this year, but for the future, no, it's it's about it's going to be about Buffalo. And they follow up that season, 13-3, and three, and then they go and, and get embarrassed by the Cincinnati Bengals at home in a playoff game, 27-10, and now they're in a position where they're going to like not again. You have Josh Allen. We're not talking rebuilding, okay? You know how quickly things can turn in the NFL from season to season. But they're they're going to have to go through some like cleansing internally within that organization to get things fixed because that is that team is broken right now. They're broken mentally. They're broken physically. All around, that team is a broken team when you watch them play. Denver, I know Denver's playing harder. Denver finally, rec- they finally realized that the, the 2023 season has started. Thank, thank you, Denver, for taking, you know, for taking basically the better part of six or seven weeks to feel like they realized that the regular season started. Like we're no longer in preseason, so good. That's good, good for Denver. But Denver, you know, uh, Bills have four turnovers. Denver could barely do anything to take advantage of those turnovers. It's not like Denver's going up and down the field getting touchdowns off those turnovers or short fields. Like, no, Denver's not any good. There's no way Denver should be able to walk into your home stadium and beat you and and beat you and and, and beat you with that court with that team. And even with that quarterback. I know Wilson's been okay. He's not as been he hasn't been as good as the numbers, but he's, you know, his numbers haven't been really been impactful. Denver, you can't let Denver walk into your stadium and, and, and punch you in the mouth like that in a game that you absolutely, with the type of schedule that they have, this is a game that they the Bills absolutely had to win for anybody who's going to take them serious in regards to making the playoffs. You have to win the game. Denver at home, that's a must win. In the conference, you're, you're trying to fight for Miami with Miami for a division. There are a bunch of boatload of teams that keep winning uh, in the AFC that have better records than you, even though 
Jacksonville and, and Baltimore uh, lost. There's still a bunch of teams who are, who have three losses or less. So that game to me sealed their sealed Buffalo's fate as far as them. They're not making the playoffs. Even with even with the seven teams, even with some of these teams are gonna knock each other off. They're, they're just not making. That's not a playoff team. They're not. They have that team. This team has nine and eight or eight nine written all over. Like period, they're five and five right now. That is the most losses they've had at this juncture in the season, going back to uh, Josh Allen's rookie season in twenty eighteen. Again, they look like a broken franchise, a broken team. Um, again, I I don't I think <laughs> I, again I don't I mean you can. You can do these dramatic things like fire your offensive coordinator or bench a running back, but I don't really see any answers moving forward for this season in terms of what they can do um, to fix this. I don't know. I mean, again, listen, every NFL season has a bunch of twists and turns. So it's not out of the realms of possibility that it can be fixed. There's nothing in watching this team play football right now, there's nothing that tells me that they're capable from a mental standpoint, uh, from a culture standpoint, from a mental toughness standpoint to fix this. Because remember, in the last couple of, listen, Buffalo, the last three seasons has won like, have won like 37 games. They've won a ton of games. They haven't, they have not had dealt, they haven't dealt with a lot of crisis situations in terms of uh, in the regular season. Like not to this, not to this level. Even 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 a couple of years ago when they were like eleven and six, you know they they were losing some close games. It was like all right, we you know we're losing some close games, but we're right there. Or some of those losses weren't bad losses. Like they've had, I mean, you're talking about losing to the Jets with no with um, with no Aaron Rodgers, and. The theme is continuing. The themes are continuous with Buffalo. They get off to these. They they offensively they look lost for a half. Mostly, most of the times the nine is the first half. So to me, that's on the coaching. Like when you're not coming out the gate, seemingly like you're not mentally or physically ready to play. That's I put that on the coaches. To be honest with you. And again, it happens in it happens in all sports where the message of a coach just no longer resonates. No matter how good that coach is from an X and O standpoint, no matter how good that coach was as a motivator. Sometimes the voice is the players just, just you know, time for a new voice. And I don't care how successful. I mean, like I remember this happened to Pat Riley with the Lakers, and Pat Riley is smart. It's, Pat Riley was smart enough to jump on it and say, "You know what? I'm good. It's it's time for a new voice." If you remember after, and this was after, this is after they went to the finals. So they go no, this was after they no, actually didn't go to the finals that year. That year they lost the eighty Riley's last year with the Lakers was eighty nine ninety. So they they won a championship in eighty eight, they lost in the finals in eighty nine, and then they lost to Phoenix, right? They lost to Phoenix like in an upset. Like Phoenix, Kevin Johnson played out of his mind, if you remember. And that Lakers team was loaded in nineteen ninety. Magic was at the top of his game, Wordy was still an all star. They had Byron Scott was at the top of his game. So that team was one of the favorites to win a championship. And uh, they got upset by Phoenix out of nowhere. I think it was in the second round. And Pat Riley left, was like, yo, this is it. That's it. It's time for another voice. He had been with him, what, I think nine years. 
and you know this is one of the greatest coaches of all time. Um, so you know it happens in sports a lot of times where it's just time for another voice, and that that seems to be the case with McDermott. Again, we we went through this. It, you can't have a guy I, like they need an offensive offensive guy if your best player is the, the quarterback, which he is, and Josh Allen. You need an offensive guy. Period. And McDermott just isn't that dude. So I mean, we've gone through this countless times on the podcast. Uh, but that's that is about that that is the bottom line. They're fine with the defense. Leslie Frazier will be back next year. They need to go the offensive route as far as who their next head coach is going to be. It was either one or two things: go the offensive route, or come up or get a dynamic offensive coordinator. And even that, I can't. Even if they do that, I, I can't see a situation where uh, McDermott uh, survives this. Games to note, um, excellent, great game with Baltimore and Cleveland. Um, I gotta get you gotta give Cleveland a lot of credit. Uh, this game looked like it was over twice 24 9, 31 17. Uh, Cleveland bounced back to win this game 33 31. Of course, the biggest play was the, the Craig Newsome, uh, the second interception in pick six. Um, that, that was the biggest play in the game to me. Uh, in a game where, again, Deshaun Watson was not great by any stretch of imagination. He wasn't. Uh, he did. He played okay, but it wasn't about him. Cleveland was able to run the ball down Baltimore's throat close to like 178 78 yards. And the bottom line is this is one of the few games this season that Lamar Jackson has not played well. Matter of fact, it's not a coincidence. Uh, their three losses, they have been – probably Lamar Jackson's three worst games. And that that is still an issue um, for Baltimore. And it's um, from a standpoint of they can't survive Lamar, Jack- Lamar Jackson not being great. They can't. They, they're still at a point. They are still almost completely dependent on him as far as what's going to happen in the outcomes of these games. Um. Now again, their defense didn't. I mean, for them, their defense had an off night, had an off had an off day. Gave up, you know, if you minus to pick six, take away the pick six, they gave up. Still gave up twenty four points, which is a lot for their defense. But listen, your defense sometimes is going to give. It's going to have a game where they don't. You know, they're going to have one of these games where they give up twenty four to thirty points. You know, you still got you got to find a way to win games in different ways. You're not going to shut everybody down. Uh, there are no lockdown defenses in the NFL that are, that's going to hold people like, you know, there's no 2000 Ravens or even, uh, you know, 2015 Denver Bronco type defense uh, in today's NFL. You got some very good defenses, but you, you know, your offense has to be able to put points on the board in a game like this. And they have to um, pick up the weight when the defense uh, is not on its A game. I Listen, I can, we can knock Baltimore and, you know, people try to bring up, you know, them having trouble closing games. I, I really thought that this was about the Cleveland Browns. Uh, and seem like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna help sit there and say that they've completely turned the co- turned the corner and now that, that this franchise is gonna be winning championships and contending. I let me hold the brakes on that. But this was definitely a, a, a character win for Cleveland on the road. Uh remember they got destroyed against Baltimore early in the season. About Maybe it was a month ago, or maybe it was maybe uh, longer than that. Um, but they got manhandled in Cleveland, 
uh, in Cleveland, and they were getting manhandled in this game. This game, this game was like look, it was looking like it was thirty-eight to ten written all over it. On the road, you bounce back not once but twice. I gotta give Cleveland, you gotta give Cleveland some credit there because that has not been, you know, their mo uh, forever with that franchise. There's been a losing franchise. There's been a franchise that's been one of the worst franchises in the league. Uh, character has definitely not been a, a, a high point or something to to discuss when you talk about Cleveland Browns football. So you gotta give them credit. That division is still. I mean, that, that division is brutal. Um, overall, you know, not you know, you have you know, Baltimore is still seven and three. At seven and three, you got Pittsburgh and Cleveland at uh, six and three, and Cincinnati last place at five and four. So that division is just it's going to be a bloodbath uh, moving forward. But this was a major win for the Cleveland Browns, a very important win. Extremely important win when you talk about trying to change the culture of your franchise and to you know from a perennial loser to somebody that you know somebody that they that the teams are going to have to deal with in the future. This is a, this is a huge win for the Cleveland Browns, and I I mean I'm not just talking about for this season, but even maybe for even for their future. To be honest with you, that's how that's how important I thought that this game was uh, for them. Also, you had um, well, no, we can go. We'll go to the game of the week. Um, game of the week. This game was uh, highly entertaining um, in so many ways. First, Houston, um, Houston's uh, edges Cincinnati twenty-seven twenty-four on the road, and frankly, one of the more impressive wins of the NFL season that I've seen. To be honest with you, um, we are watching the star in the making. In uh, C.J. Stroud, he is having, again, one of the great rookie quarterback seasons in recent memory. Um, I don't go back to the 1920s, but I know in the last 20, 20 to 25 years that very few rookie quarterbacks have came in and made this type of impact and put up the numbers to prove. Um, Roethlisberger was winning a lot of games, but the numbers were not that great. Well, he's still, uh, you know, listen, 15-1 is 15-1. But this is... Uh, you know, this is what, what you're watching with C.J. Stroud is special. Um, he outplays Joe Burrow, who had been playing as well as any quarterback in the league over the past month. Cincinnati had been playing as well as any team in the league uh, in the last month. And they go into Cincinnati and really just completely outplay Cincinnati. Like, they, they deserve to win this game. This wasn't no fluke. It could have been, I mean, to be honest with you, this could have been worse. Probably should have been worse. than It should have came down to just three points. Uh, to be perfectly honest with you, that Houston, no, I'm saying Houston's a better team than Cincinnati. I would still, excuse me, I would take, you know, they played in the playoffs. I would take Cincinnati because of their, their pedigree and how much uh, playoff experience they've had in recent years and big game experience. But again, you if you want to know why quarterbacks get paid what they pay, especially star quarterbacks, CJ Stroud is a perfect, is this the epitome and the example of why you pay a quarterback? Just the, the, the amount of money that you pay him because that one guy can galvanize an entire franchise, even a franchise that has been as poorly run with bad trades and just horrible, shitty culture. That one guy could change your fate in one season just that quick. That's why you pay. That's why, you know, you pay them the, the money that you pay them. No questions asked. And again, this guy. In 
one season has turned Houston from a laughing stock to someone that should make the rest of the league or the rest of the AFC nervous if they ever can be if like if they ever think about getting being great at with personnel moves if they were average if they become average at drafting or average at free agency they're going to be a problem because of this dude especially for the next three years when he's still on this rookie contract they, they, they don't have to become they don't even have to be top tier as far as those categories if they are average if they are a functioning franchise they're going to be a problem because this guy's that special um he made a throw that on a touchdown they ended up getting called back that i don't think maybe three or four quarterbacks in, in the league can make Mahomes can make that throw I think Josh Allen could make that throw. Burrow probably could make that throw. Justin Herbert could definitely make that throw. Maybe four quarterbacks. I'm not. Could Jalen Hurts make that throw? Not sure. I don't. I, maybe. Maybe Jalen Hurts could make that throw. Um, he's his accuracy definitely has uh, picked up, and and you know he's over the last couple of years. But I very again the point overall point. Very few quarterbacks could make make that throw he made on a touchdown that got called back. I, I don't. I don't see how you how you how the ball got through, you know, got through in such a small window, and where the receiver was still in bounds. Um, so again, there are certain guys that just in that like, like Bonnie Lott came to the 49ers and immediately San Francisco went from average to a Super Bowl contender in one year. Like a player of that ilk, in terms of impacting the energy, the skill, they can change the course of your franchise in one season, and this guy has done that. Without question, if you're Cincinnati, I wouldn't go too crazy about. Like, I'm not gonna say this is a bad loss because you ran to a great quarterback. Houston is playing well, um, but tough loss. I mean, it, you know, tough way to end the winning streak in a loss at home. Uh, but I, you know, I still believe in Cincinnati. I, I still think Cincinnati will win the will make the playoffs. But this was a, again, this was one of the more impressive wins of the NFL season and this wasn't even about Cincinnati. This was about this was about Houston. Period. Point blank. Uh as far as the I've been hearing some talk hearing some talk about CJ Stroud and his MVP chances. He's still like the MVP odds are like thirty to one. Six players are still ahead of him. Maybe five with Josh Allen's performance last night. I would venture to say I I would venture to say that Allen would not be ahead of him after last night, but he, he may still be with Vegas, uh, you never know, but um, yeah, I mean, listen, I, I don't, I don't think he's going to win MVP. Um, maybe he could finish in top five, but rookie quarterback, it, you have to do it. Have to be, you have to be. I think the record would have to be if they were like twelve and five. He, it's possible because it's, the reason why it's possible because no one is running away with MVP right now. Like Tua has come back to the pack. Mahomes has hasn't been great this year. He's been very good. Hasn't been great this year. I listen. I, if I had a vote, it'd be Jalen Hurts right now. I think Jalen Hurts Hurts. You'd be hard pressed to beat out Jalen Hurts if Philadelphia is like fourteen and three or thirteen and four, or you know maybe or guy or maybe even fifteen and two possibly. It'd be hard pressed if they're in between somewhere thirteen and four and fifteen and two. Uh, I think Jalen Hurts, especially being the run-up last year, will will win it. But I definitely could see Josh, uh, not Josh Allen, C.J. Stroud being a legit top five candidate. Um, he's only he's rising fast. Um, so 
you know, we, uh, you know, there's something certainly something to keep your eye on. It, it, it's not out of the realms of possibility. It's it's certainly something that can that definitely can happen. We won the week, uh, Houston Texans. Uh, there's no question that you know with that type of win in the conference on the road uh, against again one of the hottest teams, one of the hottest quarterbacks in the league coming into that game. Uh, the way they did it, they completely outplayed Cincinnati. He outplayed Joe Burrow by a lot. I know Joe Burrow has some moments, but he outplayed Joe Burrow to me clearly. And again, that was an absolute statement win and one of the best wins they've had in a long time uh, in the regular season. We're going to deep dive the Georgia Bulldogs. Um, having, you know, we've talked some college football this year, but we haven't really talked a lot about a team that has won 27 straight now, 27 straight games, and is trying to win that third straight championship. And really, you know, I don't, I think we need to really put what they're doing in this proper perspective. So Georgia completely um, dominated Ole Miss in a game that was supposed to be a, show, a showdown game. And I was so happy because I can't, I can't stand Lane Kiffin. I, I, I like, and especially, you know, you can do your own research about what's going on with with Ole Miss and what he did to that player and with that player and the mental health and all that. That was that is a disgusting story to, to even to even uh, read about. And I think and I frankly think Lane Kiffin should be fired. To be honest with you, if that if all that comes out and it was true, I think and I mean I heard I heard the uh, I heard the tape uh, that the player had. Uh, so I I actually think Lane Kiffin probably should be fired for that. But that's another story for another day. But so I, I again, I've never, I've never been a Lane Kiffin fan myself. So I was more than pleased with with this uh, particular result. As listen, Georgia just showed you that you know there are levels to this. They showed you that they are still, without question, the team to beat not only the SEC, SEC, but the team to beat in college football. Um, that was one of those. Hey, we're still here type games and again Georgia has won 27 straight games the second longest in SEC history only behind Alabama they can tie Alabama with the win over Tennessee this week and end up breaking that and break that record uh, following uh, the following week against Georgia Tech in the rivalry game um, they're now again, no one's going to catch Oklahoma 47 straight from I think 53 to 57 That that's uncatchable but they get past, you know, the 30s is not out of the realms without question. They, like, the longest streak in the last 30 years is Miami had a 34-game winning streak from 2000 to 2002. Uh, Florida State had one, had a 29-game winning streak um, from uh, 2012 to 2014 when Jimbo Fisher was, was there and they won a championship. So... That is, a, they they can definitely crack, crack the top five, top ten winning streaks of all time. But to me, I, like, it's one of the most impressive winning streaks in recent memory because they're doing it in the SEC. Now, early in the season, we thought the SEC might be down. Alabama wasn't playing well. Teams were getting picked off. The Pac-12 was, you know, everybody was talking about, about the Pac-12 and Dion and all this and all that. SEC is still the best conference. Alabama has picked it up, and, it's going to, and that will be – the asset test for Georgia, like if Georgia, again, I, I think Georgia loses the game. It's going to be their next loss could be would be to Alabama if they're going to lose the game. They still they still will make the playoffs. If they go in the SEC championship undefeated, but 
the SEC is still the SEC. You still have some very good teams, Ole Miss, Tennessee. Um, it's still the top conference in the in, in the in the country. <laughs> still the top conference in the country. So, uh, for them to do this in the SEC, twenty seven straight games. It's I I just never thought that I would see it. To be honest with you, that streak that Alabama had was in was in nineteen. 79-1980 Alabama team that won 28, 28 straight games. Excuse me, that won um yeah, that won twenty seven straight games because they uh that won yeah, twenty eight excuse me twenty eight straight games. They can tie it on on Saturday against uh Tennessee. Again, they're doing this. And again, I know the the quarterback has played well this year, but he's not projected to be a top quarterback first round. Can't miss project. Uh. Stetson Bennett, I don't, I don't think Stetson Bennett is, in, is Stetson Bennett even in the league in the NFL. He might have got drafted. I don't think he's on a roster. Uh, to do this without a dominant quarterback is, I mean, again, it, it's unheard of to win this many games. Now the rest of the roster, we know they have Georgia's is is pumping out pro pro prospects, you know, like hotcakes. Um, that program right now is just again they've reached a level to where it is a very rare level, especially in 2023, to dominate college football like this. Especially with everything with the transfer portal, with the NIL things that all the things that it, some that these coaches did not have to uh, worry about in regards to not just straight recruiting. Now you're coaching, you have to, you know, your job is that much tougher because you have to compete. You know, it's just not about these kids just don't care about traditions. They want to get paid and they want to be able to play right away. So Curry Smart has made the adjustment and unlike Dabo Sweeney and the team is being dominant and until somebody beats them, they are the team to beat. Like I, I don't, you know, I, I think it doesn't even matter to me what they're going, what they're going to be ranked in the college football rankings. Uh, that team, until somebody beats them, they are absolutely the team to beat. And it seems to me, that we probably are, that we could be headed towards a showdown, a part two between Georgia and Ohio State. Last year it was one of the great college football games, like in the last five years. Ohio State certainly is kicking themselves that they probably should have won that game to Georgia in the playoff game, and they came up short and then have to watch Georgia just totally embarrass TCU, um, put like sixty five points on them. Um, so we more than likely. Will be headed, uh, could be headed towards a, a rematch with uh, Ohio State, Georgia. Still, a lot of things to be, a lot you know, a lot of football to be played. You know, Ohio State still has Michigan, Georgia, of course, still has probably Alabama and 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 a playoff game against maybe Florida State, somebody like that. But that team, the Georgia, the Georgia run is is really a historic run and one of the great ones in that you will ever see in, in college football. And something, when someone does snap that winning streak, you won't see another winning streak like this. And it might, you might go, it might, we might go another 20, 30 years before we see a streak like this, the way, the, the way college football, where college football is at in the direction that college football is headed in or right already, or seemingly already there. It's just not going to happen. Stock up, stock down. Uh, stock up the Minnesota Vikings. Give them a lot of credit. Um, despite the fact that he lost Kirk Cousins, they still remain um, won games. They are going to uh, 
it looked like Detroit was going to run away with that game, run away with that division. But now uh, the Lions are going to be in an absolute dogfight with the Lion, with the Vikings uh, to win that division. Um, looking at the standings right now, uh, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, Detroit's still in control. Detroit's seven and two, six and four, so game and a half. Uh, so Detroit is still in control of that division. Uh, but if they slip up, you know, Minnesota's right there. But give, again, give Minnesota a lot of credit. They won five straight. They look, again, they uh, won five straight. You're talking about, you know, one in four. Lose your quarterback. Every reason to be possibly tanking for Caleb Williams. But uh, they have um, gotten, gotten their shit together. Um, play some good football. Now, again, they haven't beaten, like, now again, they beat the 49ers. They called beat the 49ers, so that, I give them credit for that. But, you know, Bears, Packers, Falcons, Saints. But the bottom line is we know how bad that division is. And really, I mean, the Vikings looking at their schedule, you know, Broncos, Bears, Raiders, they do have the Bengals on the 17th. So, and you know, they have a chance. They, they, I mean, they're going to be right there. In terms, right now in the playoffs, they would be the seventh. seventh um, they would be they're in seventh right now. They would be in the playoffs. And the teams that are behind them, you know, New Orleans, Tampa Bay, Washington, eh, you know, Minnesota probably should make the playoffs. Looking at those teams that are behind them who you don't trust. So, but give them a lot of credit. Uh, stock down, Bill Belichick, and, you know, it, it sounds – Insane for me to say that a six-time Super Bowl champion, chip coach, and one of the great champion, one of the great coaches of uh, all time, if not the greatest coach of all time, I still would have Lombardi, but in the modern era, definitely one, the greatest coach of this era in the Super Bowl era is Bill Belichick, without question. Having sent, putting him in stock down, but listen, uh, New England has been one of the worst teams in the league. Um speculation about his job has has been all over the place. First of all, the idea that he was going to ever be fired in season, like, just, come on, like that, you know, Kraft is not, so that just wasn't going to happen. Like, that's just not in a gazillion years would ever happen. But it seems to be, it's gotten to a point to where one or two things is going to happen. They're going to either go to Bill. They're going to go to Belichick and say, "Hey, we understand we just like signed you to an extension prior to the season or prior to last season. You could coach this team, but you cannot do everything as far as personnel decisions, general manager, vice president, all that stuff that the type of power that you have had over the last twenty years like that. We we got we got to move away from that." So you can either keep coaching or you can just outright step down and we can go in a different direction and we can do the whole ceremony, you know, build, you know, all one of the greatest coaches of all time. We can celebrate you. We can make this a very smooth parting of ways. Or we can just outright fire you. Because I can see, Rob, like Robert Kraft, listen, you don't become a billionaire. You don't get to where Robert Kraft has gotten to without making tough decisions. And I don't think anyone would rip Robert Kraft coming off this type of season for firing, outright firing Bill Belichick. Matter of fact, people would probably would say you should have did it after last season, to be honest with you. And you would hear the Brady people say, well, we told you. 
it was all about Brady, not Belichick. Like it was just ridiculous. But I like it. We're not talking about Jerry Jones, Tom Landry situation here. If you remember, you're old enough, if you're old enough, remember when Landry, when Jerry Jones bought the team, and he made a he made a you know a uh, unpopular decision at the time, get rid of Tom Landry. It was time for Tom Landry to go. By the way, his time was up. It was it was over and done, and nobody liked it. But you know, it was the it clearly was the right move because he brings in Jimmy Johnson. They win three Super Bowls in four years. So. But so that this is, would not be the case if if Kraft got rid of Bill Belichick, it wouldn't be like no one. I, I don't think anyone, any New England fan, New England fan with a half of, with a third of a brain would say that this is a bad move uh, for them to move move on from Belichick. Listen, nothing lasts forever. Okay, nothing lasts forever. Like he's been there, you know, since ninety nine to that. Like he's been there forever. He's been here forever, and you know, it, I still, I still think Belichick can coach football, X's and O's, preparation, game planning. I still think if you, if I just tell Belichick, Bill Belichick, if you, if you're Bill Belichick, you're just focusing on football, just coaching football, then I still think he is a top coach. I just don't think the person, the, his coach, no Tom Brady, and. I don't care how good your X's and O's are, X's and O's are. If you don't have the horses or if you're not making the right free agent signings or if you're not drafting the right players, player development, then you're not you're not going to win in this league. Especially, again, if you don't, more importantly, don't have the quarterback. They don't have the quarterback. And the quarterback they do, that they do have, he picked that quarterback. He picked Mac Jones. Okay? So, Bill Belichick, yeah, that, those days where he – Doing doing both jobs, it's too hard anyway to do to have that kind of power. Even Andy Reid does not have that kind of power. He has a say in personnel decisions, but he's not the end all be all in terms of what who gets drafted and, and what have you. They have people in place. They have a great foundation and 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 and, uh, and a team of, of personnel people in place that that assist uh, that you know they, that they work as a collaboration with Andy Reid. So that is way too hard of a job in, in sports, period, in basketball and football for a coach to do, to do both things. It's too hard. It's impossible to be successful. That Those days are, are long gone in the world of sports. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, again, I Robert Kraft to me is not the guy, type of guy that will is going to be sentimental and like say we're keeping Bill along and you're going to have complete power as you have in the past 20 years. No, I don't see that happening at all. Uh, real thoughts. Um, why were you crying? So I also have something on Jimbo Fisher. It's kind of blocked with the crying Michigan coach here. Um, so we have Sharon Wilkerson. Sharon, uh, not Wilkerson. That's uh, or you know, Indiana, it's not Sharon Wilkerson, folks. That is uh, Sharon, Sharon, um, Sharon Moore, excuse me. You have Sharon Moore, who's the who currently is the interim coach at, at Michigan. Uh, they had a big, of course, we know you know about the scandal with the sign stealing, um. Scandal at Michigan. Jim Harbaugh suspended three games. You can do your own research on that in terms of everything that went around, went about, came about from that. Um, the bottom line is, like, 
the suspension was probably was probably was was deserved and that made a case for him being suspended for the rest of the season. If you really want to go, if they really want to, you know, really hit a hard ball over the head with uh, with the hammer. But three games is fine. Uh, they have a big win over Penn State, which never who never wins a big game anymore. James Franklin is like one in twelve against top five teams in his tenure there. You know, Penn State is going to win nine to ten games, get to probably a January first bowl. But as far as compete for national championship, it's not going to happen because they can't win them. They can't beat Ohio State. They can't beat Michigan. But on that side, they got a you know, it's still a great win against the top ten team on the road in your conference. Uh, you're getting ready for Ohio State in a uh, in another in a couple weeks, um, a week from Saturday. That is. Uh, on the twenty fifth, I can get, I can understand. So Sharon Moore does this does this interview uh, at the end of the game. I believe it's Jenny Taft from Fox, and he given these basically snot bubble like tears and and you know he did it for Jill, but he did for these guys these these guys fucking and no he goes into this tangent. Uh, it's not crying because they the happiness of winning. It was crying because it was like a fuck you to the rest of the world who thought Michigan was guilty of this, who thought who wanted to condemn Harbaugh. It was it was that type of crying. Like we're victims here. We're being falsely accused. Now I'm not gonna sit up here. Nothing wrong with a man crying. So I'm not even going there from that standpoint. Not from that standpoint. I'm not questioning this guy's manhood. I would have no problem myself if he shed some Denzel glory tears for winning a game in where he, in essence, was the head coach. It's a big deal. It's probably a lifelong goal of his to be a head coach at a major university. You're at Michigan, one of you know historic universities in college football history, and you beat Penn State. That's a big deal, and you should be proud of yourself. If you cry some tears where you make it just about the players and, you know, this is a big moment. I'm just, thank God for this opportunity. You know, he did say one thing. I agree with one thing he said. Before he started, before he thought, before he started thanking everybody, Jim Harbaugh, he did thank God first. So, so, so he did, that's the one good thing, the one great thing he did in this whole 41 second, um, you know, performance. But this whole idea of, you trying to paint the university as victims and you know this you know the Jim Harbaugh ass kissing like come on man like come on like like let's thank the listen cry your tears from in terms of thanking the players in terms of this moment being a big moment for you personally but I, I like like don't don't sit up here and try to make your team make the university and make this uh, Jim Harbaugh out to be barters and make them out to be like they were done. You know, there was an injustice and uh, please don't, that is not needed a time or place to do something like that. It's not, it's not like, it's not that, like that's, if things come out later on, you want to go on a, uh, 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 you want to go talk to some reporters after everything has come out and it's proven that they would, you know, you know, that the NCA did a bad investigation. Then go ahead. And tell us we were all wrong. We were, you know, not we're not guilty. Whatever. I just don't like. I just don't want to hear. I just don't want to hear at on the field. And 
I don't have I really don't have I don't respect it from a standpoint of it's coming from a place of again you're trying to paint yourself as a victim. And you're really not you you kind of made it about the kids, but you it wasn't even really about the kids. You kind of made it about Jim Harbaugh, the university, and yourself. You kind of was it, it was some bootlicking going on. Let me I'll just be perfectly honest with you. It was some bootlicking. Right. It was some bootlicking, and I just don't I really have respect for it from that standpoint. I don't. So you know, I don't, the crying is one thing, but, you know, have some self-respect, like, seriously, for yourself. Um, so the Clippers are 0-4 with James Harden, uh, while the Sixers just keep playing some of the best basketball in the NBA right now. Maxi has been dominant. Joel MVP is having another MVP caliber season. All their, all their pieces have fit. Tobias Harris, they, you know, has returned, um, playing great football. Uh, excuse me, great basketball. So here, before you you can jump on James Harden, that's the low-hanging fruit. The reason why the Clippers have lost five straight overall, 0-4 with James Harden. The thing that has jumped out to me about this Clipper fall in terms of this losing streak and the revelation that should be coming out of this is they no longer have a superstar on their team. And, you know, for all these years with, since this thing came up, came about in 2020 with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, all you hear about how much talent the Clippers had. Oh, the Clippers are so deep. The Clippers are this. Clippers are that. That talent, eh, they're, they're long in the truth, number one, not as talented as you think they are, as, as, the, as their perception. They're not. They're not. Because they don't have – Kawhi Leonard is no longer that guy. Kawhi Leonard, at his peak, was easily a top five player. At his peak, at his apex, easily, and was in conversation for best player in the world in 2019. Matter of fact, you could have called him the best player in the world in 2019 when he led Toronto to the uh, championship. This version of Kawhi Leonard is probably somewhere in that 20. 15 to 20 range in terms of top players. I'm not sure he's he's even an all NBA caliber player right now. He may be, he's an all star and he's still putting up relatively quality numbers 20 points, 21 points, you know, pretty good splits from in terms of, you know, shooting percentage. Uh, he's making, he's going to make his free throws, solid defender. He's not, no, he's no, he, he's not close to being a defender he once was. But a superstar. A superstar does not allow you to lose five straight games, and these are these are not they're not losing to the bet the the cream of the crop here. You're losing to a Brooklyn Nets, the Memphis Grizzlies. Okay, Knicks are pretty good. They're not great. Like they've had some bad losses, and he's only played well in about two of those games. He was great against the Lakers in the first half, in the first three quarters. Not so much in overtime and in the fourth quarter. But he he has fallen. He he's taking a step back. He's not again accumulation of injuries. He's not that old. Like Kawhi Leonard just I think Kawhi Leonard is what thirty two. So I mean, but he hasn't. He's he's in the old thirty two. If there's such, if there's such thing as an old thirty two, yeah, he's in the old thirty two. That's the thing that jumps out to me even more so than the Harden thing in terms of James Harden and what. Had, what hasn't transpired 
uh, since he joined the team. Now, here's the thing about Harden, what I've noticed. Number one, and shocker, he doesn't move without the ball. So when he doesn't have the ball, he is like a statue. And I'm telling you right now, listen, when you get a play, forget about the numbers. I, I don't care about his numbers right now. I mean, he's has a big 13, shooting 47%. Forget, put, put the numbers aside right now. When you get a player of James Harden's ilk, you expect that player to energize your team, right? You get a player, an all-star player, a guy who's top 75, future Hall of Famer, and you are, you know, considered to be a contender, you say to yourself, okay, we got James now. Come see us. And there's an energy that flows within your team to where you become that the team just, you know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> try to stop us. I don't see any of that, that energy with the Clippers. Like, I like, and listen, James Harden is a guy that does not give off great energy from a basketball standpoint. I don't know James Harden personally, but from a basketball standpoint, it's not uplifting. Like, he's not uplifting. He's not making other people better from that standpoint. Like, you're not going to see guys going out there playing for James Harden because of how, because he's inspiring them. It's just not going to happen. Like, I remember from way back when, when I first started playing basketball, my first organized uh, year I played organized basketball, West Child, Delaney Butler, Westward Recreation Center, Trent, New Jersey. We had a good team. We had a solid. We had a solid team. I should say we had an average to solid team. We had one good player on our team, one good player. Mid season, we get this dude named Fahim Murphy, who obviously had a reputation around Trent as being a great ball player. Other teams were jealous, like, "Yo, how y'all pick him up?" It just it was the luck of the draw. We just got lucky. He took us. He took us single handedly from being average to playing to being a runner up. In the championship, we got him, and it was like, okay, we got now we have two all stars, and try stopping us, and we went all the way to the championship game. It made everybody better. He made everybody better. He he held everybody accountable. He called you out. This is this is like I was like twelve, but he called you out. He was he was like a coach. He was like literally a player coach. Tell you told you where to go. And it was like, oh yeah, damn, this dude do know what he's talking about. He's a leader. He was a leader at twelve. It's not James Harden. Like James Harden, James Harden says, you know, and the first, listen, all you got to do is listen to James Harden talk. I'm not a part of a system. I am the system. No, no, no. We need you to actually be a part of the system. That you being the system shit has not worked. Dribble, 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 dribble. Stand on, stand when I'm not dribbling. Average to mediocre defender, defensive player. No, that doesn't, that hasn't worked. You know, I look at, like, you know, Bill Walton back in the day. Goes to the Celtics. Bill now, Bill Walton was way more accomplished than James Harden ever will be as far as in terms of winning. Bill Walton was a Finals MVP. He also won a regular season MVP. And he was in conversation for best player in the world, even when Kareem was playing. Okay, injuries really set Bill Walton back and kept him from being a all time, all time great as a pro, as a professional player. College, he's one of the greatest ever. He could have been one of the greatest ever at the professional ranks if not for the injuries. He was that great, that dominant. Ask your uncle, ask your grandfather. 
came into the 86 Celtics, he understood the pecking order. Er, Mikel, Paris, DJ. He might even been fifth or sixth on that pecking order. He was a sixth man, helped them win a championship in 86, one of the greatest teams of all time. James Harden is not coming with that same energy. And James Harden probably is, is a better player than what Bill Walton was during that, at that particular time in his career. It's not even about the talent. It's about the attitude. It's about the energy, the mindset. What are you bringing to the table from a mindset standpoint? Is it about winning or is it about you? And again, none of this is, we're not, I'm not breaking any new ground when I'm saying, with, with terms of what I'm saying about Harden. My biggest thing, my biggest point I want to make about this was the Kawhi Leonard situation. Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard, of the aspect of Kawhi Leonard is not, not what, it, what, what he once was. But listen, Harden is Harden. It's going to be hard. And the Clippers, we, the Clippers are like the, the Cowboys of the NBA, man. Like, you know something bad going to happen. You know they're not going to, you know they're not going to finish a deal. The perception is always better than the, the perception is always outweighs the reality from that standpoint. Oh, the you know, Clipper fans get hype. No, no, it's not this is not going to end well. I mean, the Dallas Mavericks, what Dallas did to him on Friday with Luca, Luca was toying with them. Toying with them, especially in that second quarter. I mean, toying with them. And no, and again, no one around the league fears the Clippers. No one in the Western Conference, like, they don't even have, they're, they're not respected from that state. Like, no one, there's no aura about the Clippers. People say the Clippers, oh, we know, we could beat them. We could beat them. We, oh, no, we can, we're good. We're good against the Clippers. We, we, we'll be fine. So, uh, this thing is not, will not end well for this franchise. Again, it, this going to be, they're going to be, they're building that new arena, this new, this new high tech Jerry, Kind of like Jerry World, Jerry's World of NBA arenas, and neither Kawhi Leonard or Paul George might not be there next year. But that's the story for another day. That's going to wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast. This podcast will be out by tomorrow. Also, listen out for uh, Snowfall. The next episode I'll be putting I'll be putting that out later on this week. Um, and next week, might have a bonus podcast um, with a special guest. So stay tuned to that for that. Enjoy your evening. So long.